Amen. All right. I tell you what, if somebody gets this one, you're coming to the buffet today. You ready? That rhymed. I didn't plan on that. You ready? Mario, you ready? Are you hungry? Okay, here you go. The year was 1532. Do you think you're going to get it now? Maybe. Okay, he's positive. Give it up for Mario. The year was 1532, and this man was suddenly arrested by the Roman Catholic Church. His crime, you ask? Well, here it was. He was just praying and reading the Bible in English. That was it. Yeah, it makes me cry too. Okay, which was forbidden by the Catholic Church at that time. And they said it could only be done in Latin, which, of course, most people didn't know, which, of course, kept them in the dark spiritually. Then to make matters worse, they even searched his house, whereupon they found several works by the guy we saw last week, William Tyndale. Uh-oh. Including the New Testament in English. Well, that was it. The Catholic authorities decided to burn this guy at the stake. And once he got to his place of execution, he lifted his hands to heaven and prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And they proceeded to chain him to the stake, whereupon, listen to this, the Catholic priest actually told the people that whoever brought the wood to burn this guy alive, that the Catholic church would give them an indulgence to commit as many sins as they wanted for the next 40 days without fear of penalty. Folks, that kind of stuff still goes on today. So obviously a huge fire was lit because you wouldn't want to have a license to sin for 40 days, right? Then to make matters worse, one of the spectators actually threw a piece of the wood that was brought at this man's head so hard it literally bashed his brains in. All because this one simple man, he was a farmer. A Christian farmer fought hard for the right for all people to be able to read the Bible in English and be set free from a tyrannical form of governmental control. Wow. The man's name, of course, Mario was? Let me translate that for you. He's not going to the buffet. Okay. <laughs> nice try. Thanks for trying. Thomas Harding was the guy's name. Thomas Harding, man, I tell you what. But you take a look at that. I, I'm really encouraged by that. You say, oh, that's not the best way to go. But hey, you got to go somehow. Amen. And you might as well go swinging for Jesus. Amen. And here it is, what I like about his uh, true story. We're going to see him in heaven. Praise God. He's a brother in Christ. Right? He stood for Christ. The neat thing is he's just one guy. He's just one simple guy. He's just your average Joe. He's just a farmer. He's a Christian guy who took a stand for you and I in this future generation so we could have something that I think, frankly, we take for granted, just to have the Bible in English. And he took a stand, and you and I experienced that. He and many others gave their lives. And that's why I say, hey, he had a life worth living for, amen? He stood for that which is right. And once again, this is the theme of our study. we got a problem. Even though God's the same God, hello, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What's going on? And we're just as much his children as Thomas Harding was. What's going on? Most of us as Christians, we read the Bible in one hand, we take a look at our lives in the other, and we're going, what's going on here? There's a disconnect. How come it's not matching up, right? How come these people like Thomas Harding, he's a simple guy just like I am. How, how come he gets to be used of Jesus, but I'm just fumbling around in the dark. I don't have this life worth living for. I got a, I got a life worth giving up. You ever been there? Well, folks, once again, this is the great news, okay? I'm telling you, this kind of life, a life worth living for, like Thomas Hardy had it, is available to every single Christian. Once again, turn to somebody and say, hey, that means you. Or for a guest from New York, you guys, right? That means you, okay? And that's why we're going to continue our study, a life worth living for. Now, what we're doing is taking a look at the different keys I believe are pivotal if you and I are going to have those lives worth living for like Thomas Harding had. Now, we've already saw the first six times that first key was you and I experiencing God's joy. He's already given it to us, but the enemy tricks us into short-circuiting it. Why? Because he knows that when you and I just simply as a Christian walk around with the joy of the Lord in our joyless world, woo, it's a powerful witness to the lost around us, right? And then we saw the two-bang punch the last 11 times. The second key was when you and I experienced God's peace right it's, it's a great two-bang punch we don't just get to walk around with joy we get to walk around in peace in our 
peaceless world, right? And the non-Christians, they're just blown away. I mean, that joy thing was cool enough, but what? You're peaceful too? It's a, how can I get, can I have, and we lead them to Jesus. It's all a gift from God, right? But the problem is the enemy knows this, and he tricks us into short-circuiting that joy and that peace. And last time we saw, the sixth way he does that is by you and I getting us to have a misplaced understanding. <laughs> You know, like that lady, it's what is going on there. And what we saw there is that even though the Bible tells us, listen, do you want to live a life without worry? All two of you, let me say that again. You want to live a life without worry? Yeah, yeah praise God. And here's all you got to do. We got the instructions. You don't have to wonder, oh, who becomes an email today? It's right here. It's been here for 2,000 years from Jesus. All you got to do is seek first God's kingdom, his righteousness, do that. Everything's great. It almost sounds too simple, doesn't it? And I think that's the problem, but that's what it is. We, and then the problem is, it's a Christianese phrase, right? Maybe 2,000 years ago, the early church had a better understanding, but we don't even know who this God is. We don't know what it means. Okay, I'm going to seek his kingdom. What's that mean? I don't know, but I'm going to do it anyway. Mario's doing it. He's still trying to figure out how he's going to get to the buffet. I'm following here. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a misplaced understanding. We don't even know. How, how are we going to seek this God, his kingdom, in order to live a life without worry? Okay, It's a misplaced understanding. So we sought to get a biblical understanding of who God is and his kingdom. And we saw that his kingdom means he controls all things. He does that with the wild animals, the weather, and hello, in case that wasn't big enough for you, the whole universe. And so the logical conclusion we saw there, hello, if God cannot just uphold that, sustain it, and control it, um, I think it can handle pretty much anything that comes our way. How about you? Therefore, as Jesus says, don't worry. What are you worried about? You really think your problem's too big for God? You better understand what his kingdom really means, okay? But that's not all. The fourth way we know that God controls all things. He's got another aspect of what does this mean, his kingdom? All right, let's, let's ex, ex, get rid of this uh, Christianese phrase. What does it mean, his kingdom? Seek his kingdom. He controls the wild animals. He controls the weather. He controls the wide expanse of the universe. And get this, and boy, do we need to hear this today with current things that are going on in our own country. He controls, hello, even the wicked governments. Did you know that? Turn to somebody and say, God is in control. No man escapes his control. I don't care who they are. I don't care what position of power. God is the one who's in control. And we need to understand that, Christian, but don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. What a concept. Daniel chapter 4 is our opening text. This is just one clearly telling us this. Daniel chapter 4. We're going to read verses 10 through 18. And if you find Daniel, what do you do? Or tell him to get in here, Bobby. Service has already started. He's late. Okay, but if you get to the book of Daniel, okay, uh, we're going to take a look here. And as you turn there, the context, of course, is Nebuchadnezzar. He's the guy. He's the big uh, honcho. He's the one in charge, literally over a, a massive part of the, the earth. And, and God, God put him in that position. But here's the problem. Um, power kind of corrupts, doesn't it? And this is what happened. As you get there, and I'm going to give you the context real quick. He's just got too big for his britches, okay, uh, as the, the saying goes. And I hope you get that because I don't have an illustration like the cone of silence for that one. I'm just gun shy now for some reason. But anyway, uh, too big for his britches. He's got prideful, arrogant. And so God's going to come and judge him and remind him, oh, by the way, you forgot, I'm in control. Not me, God. Okay, but let's take a look there. Verse 10, here's what he says. Uh, and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar is saying this to Daniel, Belteshazzar, to uh, interpret it for him. But here's what it is. These are the visions I saw, verse 10, while lying on my bed, he says. 
And I looked, and there before me stood a, a tree in the middle of the land, and its height was enormous, and the, the tree grew large and strong, and its, its top touched the sky, and it's visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches from everything, uh, every creature was fed. Now, again, this is symbolizing Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. In the visions, though, I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, an angel, coming from heaven. And he called out in a loud voice, uh-oh, what are you supposed to do that tree? You had it going. Should have kept your heart humble. Cut that thing down, right? Cut down the tree. Trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves. Scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Listen to this. Let his mind be... What? God can change a mind? God can change a mind of a wicked ruler? What? God can change the mind of people in our own... Con what? Hey, that kind of gets rid of some worry. Oh, we didn't get into started. God can change your mind. He could change it. He could, he's God, right? God can change your mind, okay? Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times or seven years pass by for him. That's actually historically verified. Uh, Robert Tozier has done a fantastic job in the book of Daniel study he's been doing Sunday mornings, and he reiterated that from historical records. But that really happened. Seven years, he was judged by God. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict that the living... Why is God doing this? So that you and I, even 2,500 or so years later, listen to this, so that you and I, the living, may know that who? The Most High, God, is sovereign over what? The kingdoms of men. And gives them, God gives them to anyone he wishes, and he sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, Daniel, tell me what it means, for none of my wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And if you read the context, again, it's pretty obvious. I'll tell you what the interpretation is. Uh, God's trying to send you a message. You got too big for your britches. You got too prideful. He corrupted your brain, literally. So God had to affect your brain. God is in control of the governments around the whole world. That includes you, Nebuchadnezzar. And he's going to cut you down because you become wicked and you become proud. And folks, he does the same thing today. And he's going to do it ultimately when Jesus Christ comes at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And Jesus is going to come and he's going to establish his reign on the whole planet at the beginning of the millennial kingdom at the end of the seven-year tribulation. God is the one who's in charge. But I think it's pretty clear, once again, just that one text there, and that's not the only one, hello, that you and I as Christians, we desperately need to hear this truth today with our own government uh, in our own country, folks. It's been going on for a while, not just this administration. And the message is this. I think it's pretty obvious just who in the world is the ultimate authority in the world. It's not man. It's not governments. It's not people with money or influence. It is God. God is the one who is so in control. He doesn't just control the wild animals, the weather, the whole universe. He controls all the governments of all time throughout all of human history, even the wicked ones who have the audacity to say, oh no, we refuse to bow knee before you, God. And this is so applicable, I couldn't wait to get to this. God's kingdom, this is what it means. He's in control, yes. But here, once again, he breaks it down for us. He is so in control. He's in control of the governments. Even the kings of the whole earth have to do what God says to do. He puts them in. He takes them out. He changes their heart. He changes their mind. He controls everything. 
And I'm telling you, folks, we need to hear this today because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but our government is going south. And our government's not just going south, it's going anti-God, anti-Christian. And again, it's not just this administration. Uh, it, I'm sure it's happened before, but even back with George Bush Sr., then Clinton, then George Bush Jr., and now with uh, the Obama administration. And again, it's not just one guy, it's the whole administration. It's a bunch of people, but whatever, okay? That's what we're gonna deal with today. Our government in the United States, even from its Christian roots, is turning south. Now, here's the problem. Right now, because of this, even Christians, we desperately need to be reminded from the book of Daniel and elsewhere, listen, stop worrying. God is in control. And as Christians, this is no time to freak out and be afraid. We not only stand for God's kingdom. What's the second phrase from last week? We need to stand for his righteousness. And it is up to us to take that stand without fear, just like Daniel did. And even the threat of persecution, we stand for righteousness. And so for those of you who don't realize just how bad it's getting, and it's getting specifically anti-Christian. And again, it's not just this one. It's been going on for a while. But since this is the current one, we're going to deal with that today. Let's take a look at the evidence that, folks, our government is getting wicked, anti-God, anti-Christian, okay? For some reason, uh, Obama chose not to put his hand over the heart during the singing of the national anthem, Okay, that started. And actually, I, I, gotta, I can only hit the highlights. Uh, before this, I've shared the video before. I didn't want to share it again because we've already seen it two or three different times. But if you recall, even before this, and this is roughly chronological order, and it's not everything, okay? If you remember, he was mocking the scripture. He was mocking the Sermon on the Mount. I, what? Okay, and, and there was that. But this one then came later, and he chose not to put his hand over the heart of the singing of the national anthem. Even the news picked up on this. Watch this. The famous picture of him standing well, Bill Richardson, Hillary Clinton have their hand over their heart saluting the flag during the pledge and Obama has his hands uh, deliberately down. That is disturbing deliberately to Americans. Deliberately I don't know. He's, he's a guy. Ladies, you ever been married to a guy? Raise your hand if you're married to a guy. Okay, thank you for your participation. I don't know, guys, we zone out, right? We, sometimes we don't pay attention. Okay, maybe that's just a quinky ding. Well, let's start adding up, folks. I don't know, maybe not. Let's take a look. Then he uh, spoke disrespectfully of you and I, specifically Christians, saying that we cling to guns or religion and have an antipathy towards people who aren't like them, making us out to be dangerous, and it's going to culminate into what's going on right now uh, that we see in the news. On his first day in office... He lists restrictions on the U.S. government funding for groups that provide abortion services abroad, forcing you and I to fund pro-abortion groups that either promote or perform abortions in other nations. It's bad enough that we pay for it here, and we are forced to do that. And again, he's not the only administration that's done that, but now it's going abroad, and that we are paying for children to be murdered abroad. We need to stand for righteousness. He announces plans to revoke conscious protection for health workers who refuse to participate in medical activities that go against their beliefs and then implemented that in 2011. He gave $50 million to abortion industries that works closely with Chinese population control officials who use forced abortions and involuntary sterilization. So we're helping to fund that. Now you don't even have a choice. They're going to do it to you anyway. We're helping these people. To do, we are not standing for righteousness. We've got a problem in our government. When he's speaking at the Georgetown University, he orders that a monogram symbolizing the name of Jesus Christ to be covered when making his speech. What? News picked up on that one, too, if you remember. Let's take a look at that. 
The University of Notre Dame is not the only Catholic institution raising eyebrows when it comes to President Obama. Officials at Georgetown University covered a monogram symbolizing the name of Jesus because it was inscribed on the stage where the president spoke Tuesday. The monogram, IHS, which comes from the Greek for Jesus, was covered with a triangle of black painted plywood. Catholic League President Bill Donahue says, quote, the cowardice of Georgetown to stand fast on principle tells us more than we need to know. But the bigger story is the audacity of the Obama administration to ask a religious school to neuter itself before the president speaks there. Just the name of Jesus, okay? Then he declines to host services for the National Day of Prayer at the White House, established by federal law. But he does host White House dinners regularly to honor Ramadan. Excuse me? Uh, that's been in the news for a long time. Then he illegally extends federal benefits to same-sex partners of Foreign Service and executive branch employees in direct uh, violation at that time of the Defense of Marriage Act. Then he appoints Chai Feldblum, who asserts that society should, quote, not tolerate any private beliefs, including you and I, religious beliefs that go against homosexuality. And that the irony is this, the moment you say there are no absolutes, you just made an absolute statement. The moment you say you're all about tolerance, but excuse me, you don't tolerate me. It's called hypocrisy, okay, is what's going on there. Christian leader Franklin Graham was barred from the Pentagon's National Day of Prayer event because he complained about the Muslim community. Yeah, you need to speak up. But then he got axed there. He goes at great lengths to speak out on behalf of an Islamic mosque at Ground Zero, while at the same time he was silent about a Christian church being denied permission to rebuild at the same location. What in the world? Why would you want to? What? Uh, what? He, he started omitting the phrase, the creator when quoting our Declaration of Independence no less than seven different times? Even the news picked up on that again. Watch this. Robert, uh, two questions. Twice in recent weeks, the president has quoted from the Declaration of Independence and has omitted the Declaration's reference to rights, quote, endowed by their creator. Uh, why did he omit this part of the Declaration? I, I haven't seen the comments, Lester, but uh, I can assure you the president believes in the Declaration of Independence. You know, I'm sorry, but I've got to wonder, how do you get that job? How do you get the job to be that spokesperson? And again, not just Obama, but the other ones that do it too. They always got that spokesperson who takes the heat for you. I, I mean, if you look at the other guys too, it's just like, apparently, uh, uh, hey, so you like to have this job, right? Yeah, sure, I'd like to have this job. All right, repeat after me. Uh, 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 next question. Okay, you're hired because <laughs> that's what you're going to do. Excuse me. You have no, I didn't see it. I don't know. What? Okay, then he misquotes the national motto saying it's e pluribus unum rather than in God we trust. Okay, after a federal law was passed to transfer a World War I memorial at the Mojave Desert to private ownership, the U.S. Supreme Court actually ruled that the cross in the memorial could continue to stand. Well, he refused to allow the land to be transferred as required by law and then refused to allow the cross to be re-erected as ordered by the Supreme Court. What? Why would you? What? Deliberately picking on the cross. Then he refused to investigate videos showing how Planned Parenthood is helping alleged sex traffickers to get abortions uh, for victim underage girls. And that's not even counting what's going on today that's now come out. You're harvesting organs even while kids are still alive. And I had another video clip. I've already shown it to you before, but you guys recall he even had the audacity, with all due respect, to say he was at a Planned Parenthood meeting and says, you got a president who's always going to be supporting you. And then he ended it and said, God bless Planned Parenthood. <laughs> Slap that off your mouth.
Excuse me, God ain't going to bless that. Then he directed the Justice Department to stop defending the Federal Defense Marriage Act. And of course, it went into what we have now today. Then he allowed homosexuals to serve openly in the military, reversing a policy originally instituted by George Washington back in 1778. Uh, then he studiously avoids any religious references in his Thanksgiving speech, unlike the previous pe uh, presidents who call upon God. Then he argues that the First Amendment provides no protection for churches, synagogues, and the hiring of their pastors or rabbis. Then he makes huge apologies for Korans being burned by the U.S. military. But when Bibles were being burned, he offers numerous reasons why it's the right thing to do. Remember that one? Folks, I'm telling you, it stacks up. Okay, in fact, Bibles for the American military have been printed in every conflict since the American Revolution. But now he revokes the longstanding U.S. policy of allowing military service emblems to be placed on those military Bibles. Pastor Louis Giglio is pressured to remove himself from praying at the inauguration after it discovered that he once preached a sermon supporting the biblical definition of marriage. So they axed him because of that. Then he announced the rights of uh, uh, religious individuals will not be protected under the Affordable uh, Care Act. Then he seeks funding for every type of sex education except that which reflects traditional marriage values. You know, like wait till you get married. You fund everything else but that. And folks, I can't even, I still, I don't know how many times I have desperately wanted to share with you what these sex education courses if you haven't done the research yourself, do it, but then wash your brain and ask for forgiveness because these are sick. But they're so sick, I mean, I push the envelope a lot here. I can't share that. I cannot believe what they're doing to our children with these so-called sex eds from preschool, kindergarten up. It is, it is, folks, in a different time frame 20 years ago, these people would be hauled away and sent to jail for child abuse but now it's acceptable. And officials briefing the U.S. Army soldiers include you and I, evangelical Christianity, right along with terrorist organizations like Al-Qaeda, Muslim Brotherhood, and Hamas, to show them examples. Here's your religious extremists. And this isn't all of them, folks. This is just the tip of the iceberg. But in other words, you and I, the evangelical Christian who stands for God's kingdom and his righteousness, we are now lumped in with the terrorist groups around the world. But you take a look at this, folks, and correct me if I'm wrong, and again, this isn't everything. It appears to me that the current administration, and again, don't misunderstand me. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I'm not just an anti-Democrat. I don't care who's in office. If you're doing something that is unrighteous, we have to speak up. It doesn't matter Democrat, Republican. I don't care what you call yourself. As a Christian, we have to speak up. All it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And this is why I was excited to finally get to this passage on God's kingdom because it reminds you and I, Christian, stop being afraid. Amen. Obama is not in charge. God is. Amen. And we need to understand that Congress is not in charge. God is. The Senate's not in charge. God is. The government's not in charge. God is. The, nobody's in charge but God. He puts you in there. He'll take you out. He'll change your heart. He'll change your mind. You better be careful what you say. And you better be careful what you do because judgment day is coming. This is what you and I need to stand on. It's not just not to go, don't get worried. But that's what we're doing, aren't we? We're freaking out. Oh, they're going to come get us. And we, we stay silent. And that's what they want. Why? Because that's when evil triumphs. All it takes for evil to triumph is for you and I to freak out, get afraid, and keep our mouth shut. And we're the salt and the light. We're the preservatives of our country. And folks, I'm telling you, folks, when you get this into your heart, you don't just stop freaking out, but you stand like Daniel did.
Put yourselves back in the shoes of the den. This is Nebuchadnezzar. All he had to do gives the order. He'll chop your head off. He'll chop your arms off. He'll chop your toe. He'll chop you to pieces. He'll do whatever he wants. He'll throw you in the flames. He'll do whatever he wants. And so you're kind of tempted to say, well, I better just keep my mouth shut. And if I'm going to say something, it better not be bad news. And of course, once again, you got to dance like this as you're talking about this. I don't know why I'm doing it. I don't know it's a pastor thing, Mario. But anyway. So, right, so that's, that's the temptation, right? But he's standing before the guy, the big ruler on the earth, and he's doing unrighteous things. And God said, tell him this. Tell him the truth. Speak up. Stand for not just my kingdom, but for righteousness. And Daniel did time and time and time again. We need that same kind of courage. And when you do, folks, it's encouraging. We need to stand up to our government. We need to speak out the truth. We need to have the courage like this man did recently. I don't know if you've seen this, but this is awesome. Watch this. Please welcome former Congress member Alan West. How y'all doing in Times Square? Hey, look at here. I'm not one of these highly educated, easily speaking, kind of intellectual guys. I'm a U.S. Army combat paratrooper, and this is what I want to say. What message are we sending? What message are we sending when we sit down at the table with the number one state sponsor of terrorism? What message are we sending when we sit down with a country that is holding four Americans hostage? No different from the last time we had a weakling in the White House when we had 53 Americans being held hostage. What message do we send when we create this false narrative about either we sign this piece of paper that just the same meant nothing to Adolf Hitler, it means nothing to the Ayatollahs, or the only other alternative is to go to war. Well, let me tell you something. The United States of America is about victors. The United States of America is about champions. The United States of America does not surrender to a bunch of black-robed, crazed clerics that want to see us destroyed. Now, I got to tell you something. I got to hurry up and get off this stage because uh, I got to go to a fundraiser and a Broadway show. What type of commander-in-chief do you have when Americans have lost their lives on our soil and it's more important to come up here and take in a play than go to Chattanooga, Tennessee and lower the flag half-mast over the White House. It's very simple, ladies and gentlemen. Alexander the Great had a fantastic quote. And he said, I would not fear an army of lions if they were led by sheep. But I would fear an army of sheep if they were to be led by a lion. This great nation is a nation of lions that is currently being led by the greatest of sheep that we have ever seen in our 239 years of existence. I don't care who is occupying the White House, we're not surrendering our liberty, our freedom, our way of life. I want President Barack Obama to know one thing. You may say that you have done something that no one else has ever done. 
You know why no one else has ever done it? Because it's a stupid thing that you just did. And if people are upset because of what I'm saying, I really don't care. Because I had a father that stood in World War II. I had an older brother that stood and was wounded at Quezon. I gave 22 years of my life to make sure that that great beacon of liberty, freedom, and democracy continues to stand. And I have a nephew, I have friends that are still serving on the front lines. And my commitment is to the oath that I took on 31 July 1982 to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and to bear true faith and allegiance to the same. It's not to anybody's historic event. It's not for anyone to have some special exhibit in their presidential library. It's to make sure that the enemies of America and the enemies of Israel are crushed and brought to their knees. God bless you all. God bless America. God bless Israel. Thank you. Is that guy running for president? <laughs> it should be. Wow. All it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. This is the kind of courage, folks, we need to have now. And here's the good news, folks. You can if you just do what Daniel did and stand on the word of God. God is the one who is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. He is the one who is in charge. He gives them to anyone he wishes. He takes them up. He takes them down. He changes their mind. He changes their heart. So as Jesus says, therefore, do not worry. Seek first my kingdom, stand up, and seek out my righteousness. And all these things will be given unto you as well. And I had to throw this in there because lest you think it's only guys who can have the triumph and the courage to speak out when you need to speak out for righteousness. No, apparently not. Ladies, it's your time to shine. Watch what, I can't believe this even made it on the news. Watch this. Four United States Marines are now dead. Climate change didn't kill them. Lack of free community college didn't kill them. The income gap, wage inequality, nope, not those things either. Gay marriage, nope. Oh, white racism, not that either. So what did? President Obama, if you won't say it, I will. Radical Islam. This is not workplace violence. This is not a criminal act with motives unknown. This is terrorism. The suspected shooter, Mohammed Abdulaziz, a devout Muslim. Do I care that he seemed like an all-American young man? Do I care that he was good at mixed martial arts or a smart, quiet guy? Do I care that his high school friends wouldn't classify him as overly religious? No, I don't give a flying you-know-what about any of that. Was he linked to ISIS or Al-Qaeda or Hamas or any of the other 15-plus offshoot terrorist groups? Does it matter? I'm sorry, but radical Islam is becoming the rule, not the exception. Yesterday's moderate is today's terrorist. I care that they killed four of our United States Marines, and I care that our commander-in-chief is more concerned with Muslim sensitivity than the honor and sacrifice made by these Marines. Now, this is the 21st time our military men and women have been attacked here at home. This is not a Middle East problem. This is an American problem, and I'm sorry, but I can't sit here and let this go. Not anymore. I come from a family of Marines. My grandpa was a World War II paratrooper. My uncle, a Vietnam Purple Heart recipient. My cousins, both Marine Corps officers. I have some very close Navy SEAL connections as well. In fact, someone very close to my heart is deployed to the Middle East right now. But the sad thing is, I was telling him last night, I think you're safer over there than you would be right here in the United States of America. 
I've had it with this failed strategy, this halfway, half-baked, tiptoe, be friendly to jihadis mentality pushed by this administration. Be a leader, someone. They, the radical Islamists, have brought the fight right here to the red, white, and blue, and it's about time we bring it to them, full force. Let's show them what the United States of America looks like up close and personal. Show them what a B-1 bomber looks like flying overhead. Show them what they're messing with. Put the fear of God in their desert, because clearly our lack of strategy isn't working. Wow. Now that's a courageous woman. And folks, I'm telling you, it is high time, certainly in our nation's history. We've talked about this before. But church historians are saying that we are on the precipice. And if this generation of Christians do not stand up and not just stand for God's kingdom, but speak out and support his righteousness, we're going over the edge and we're not coming back. We are headed to tyranny. In fact, folks, I want to encourage you. It's not just that we need to have this courage. We need not only stand on God's word, that he's the one in charge, not the government. Whatever the government is, whether it's the United States, around the world, even the leaders at UN, listen to what God's doing. <laughs> As these guys are making their plans. <laughs> this is cool. Read this and go to sleep. This is awesome. This will get rid of worry. Psalm chapter 2, man, verse 1 through 6. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they take their stand against the rulers. They gather uh, together against the Lord and against who? His anointed one, Jesus. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven. What's God doing? Yeah, <laughs> He's laughing. Oh, and then he scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I even saw my king, Jesus, on Zion, my holy hill. And he goes on to say, you better kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. Because Jesus is coming back, and it's going to be his government from then on forward. Amen. So I don't know about you, but I'm kind of thinking, you know, whoever can control not just the wild animals, but the weather and the whole wide universe. Oh, throw in some wicked governments. In fact, all the wicked governments of all mankind, be it Nebuchadnezzar, be it today. I think he could probably control just about anything that comes our way. Are you starting to get it why I wanted to break down this Christianese? Because this is what Jesus said. Therefore, stop worrying about your life. Are you done yet? Don't worry about your life. Seek first my kingdom. And my righteousness. And all these things will be given unto you as well. Isn't that awesome? It's well worth busting through the Christianese. Now, real quick in closing, we're going to take a look at the second thing to understand about God's kingdom is that he's not just, it tells us he's in control of all things, but here's what's really cool. He can do all things. Right? Because you might be thinking, oh, it's too late. Our government system is impossible. Oh, there's no way revival could ever come. We know we're headed to the seven-year tribulations we talked about before in our studies. Right? We know we're headed for judgment. You're not going to stop that. But what if God had some revival up his sleeve before that? We don't know. But it's impossible. It never happened. Excuse me. God can do whatever he wants to do. Now, before I get into that, let me clarify. There are some things that God cannot do. And I bring this up for the scuffer. Can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? Right? No. Because nothing's bigger than God. It's a, it's a moot point question. But, but there are certain things that God cannot do. So don't be tricked by this. God cannot lie. God cannot learn. He knows everything. He cannot sin. But what I'm talking about in this point here that's to encourage us, I believe from Jesus, busting through this Christianese, is that when it comes to this phrase, God can do all things, it's into his power and his ability to meet our needs. There's nothing too big for him. And believe it or not, at times we forget that and don't feel alone because Moses did the same thing. 
You think of Moses. Yeah, he had his moments. Here's one of the negative ones, right? He started to crack along with the other people because negativity spreads. But so does trusting the Lord. All right? Numbers 11, verse 18 through 23, and God's speaking to Moses here. Uh, uh, Tell the peoples, consecrate yourselves, set yourself apart in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. Oh, aren't you guys so encouraged today? We never whine and complain about God's provision. We're so grateful and thankful. And Let's just move on. Um, listen to what they said. This is why God got upset. He rescued them from Egypt, from bondage and slavery. And they had the audacity to say this out of their mouth. We were better off in Egypt. Can I translate that for you for the vernacular for today? The audacity of a born-again Christian to say like this, I was better off before I was saved. You better slap that off your tongue. That's gross. I almost didn't even want to say it as an illustration. Two, two pieces of gum when I'm done. Right? That's what? And so God says, I'll call you. Oh, yeah, you want me? Huh? You think I can't provide for you? You think my arm's too short? What? Okay, I can't tell you what. This sounds like such a dad thing. Watch this. Oh, yeah? <laughs> the Lord will give you meat, and you're going to eat meat. <laughs> and you're not going to eat it for just one day, or two days, or five, or ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Doesn't that sound like a dad? Right? Oh, yeah? You're going to eat these peas until you... <laughs> Why? Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and you've wailed before him, saying, well, we believe in Egypt. But Moses said, now listen, he started to crack. He got involved into this doubt. God, what are you, what are you saying you're going to give him a bunch of meat for? What? Here I am among 600,000 men on foot. You had the men, the children, women, you're about two, over 2 million people. So God said, God, what are you saying? What? And then you're going to say, I'm going to give him to eat meat, and eat meat for, I ain't got that kind of money, God. There's no grocery stores down here. What? Would they have enough in flocks where in herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough of all the fish in the sea where, God, what are you doing? You're setting me up. They're already mad at me. What you, ah. And the Lord answered Moses. I love this. Is the Lord's arm too short? Excuse me? Remember the universe video? <laughs> what? Is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. How dare you, Moses? You know better to doubt me. If I said I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But Moses got caught up with the other people, right? He's the leader, right? The people started to crack. They started to worry about provision, and then Moses got along, okay? He got caught up in sin just like everybody else. He started to whine. He started to complain, and he started to doubt. This is too big for God. Excuse me. God can do whatever he wants. There is no need, no problem you have ever will ever go through Christian that is too big for God to fix. His arm is not too short. In fact, he goes on throughout the scripture, and it's like, how many times do you have to read this? It's like, this is the best news ever. This will whoop the nutrition factor on the back of a granola bar package any day of the week. What I'm about to ready to share with you. You quote these babies every day, man. Worry goes right out the window, okay? This is for your spiritual health. He can do all things. Are you kidding me? What are you worried about? His arm's not too short, but listen to this. Matthew 19, 26. With man, yeah, it might seem impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Genesis 18, 4, is anything too hard for the Lord? <laughs> I'm going to return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah, the 90-year-old lady, is going to have a baby. <laughs> Ladies? Now let's just move on. I, I heard the groan. I heard the groan. 
<laughs> Isaiah 59, 1. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. Come on. Nor his ear too dull to hear. Jeremiah 32. Oh, Lord God, behold. We, I, I watched that video last week. Chrome translation. The universe. You made the heavens and the earth by your great power and, and your outstretched arm. And guess what's the logical conclusion? Nothing is too difficult for you. Oh, it's encouraging. Jeremiah 32, 27. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? What's the answer? No, absolutely not. Job 42, 2. I know that you, God, can do all things, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. 2 Kings 3, 17 through 18. For this is what the Lord says. You're not going to see wind. You're not going to see rain. But guess what I'm going to do? This valley will be filled with water. You, your cattle, your other animals, they're all going to get more than what you need to drink. This is what? This is an easy thing. In the eyes of the Lord. Oh, and by the way, um, he'll hand Moab over to you as well. And this is another occurrence later in the history of the Israelites uh, that they were beginning to crack. For those of you who don't know the account there, they were getting low on provisions. They were getting low on water. And they're, they're freaking out. <laughs> Starved to death and died. Thirst. <laughs> God says, what? Elijah steps in and says, excuse me. Don't you understand who God is? He's not only going to supply this. You're not even going to see it. You, oh, of course he'll call it. He's not even going to do it by rainstorm. All of a sudden, you're going to see water come and fill up this whole valley. You and your animals, you name it, you're going to have more water. Oh, and by the way, mm, like a cherry on top, I'm going to, I'll take care of Moab too. Just a piece of cake. That's really what's going on here. This is absolutely, it's, listen, it wasn't just that God could meet this amazing, phenomenal need. A two-bang punch, man. They're, the practical provision is, oh, no, it's impossible. Here comes the enemies. It's, oh, no, the perfect storm. And God says, listen, easy it's not just he could do it it's easy what in the world are we worried about and this is what jesus is bringing our attention to you want to live a life without worry understand this christianese phrase seek every single day his kingdom he's in control of all things he can do all things within his character there is no need too big for him and when you understand that you know he enjoys peace you get to create a powerful testimony of his provision, right? Isn't that, isn't that how we do this? How many of you guys always love those wonderful testimonies? You hear about some Christian going through some hard trial and this and that, whatever, and you're out of there, and, and you know, they got kidnapped, and they're on planet Mars, and they can't, you know, something, whatever. But it's just some big deal, right? Just, oh, no. Uh, and then you hear the miraculous way how they were delivered out of that, and oh, wow. And you feel so encouraged, right? We love hearing testimonies. The problem is we don't want to become the testimony. You got to take your turn, though. This lady took her turn in 2002. Watch how God provided. And it changed her life. She said in True Stories, the summer 2002, it was a bittersweet time for me and my three young children. And we just moved, and needs to say, we were struggling seriously financially. And one afternoon after picking up my two youngest kids up from school, my seven-year-old son asked if we could have pizza for supper. And my heart broke a little when I replied, we simply could not even afford pizza. But my nine-year-old daughter spoke up, true story, and told my son that if he really wanted pizza, listen to this, kids know it, don't they? If you really wanted pizza, you should just pray for it because God could afford it. So my son proceeded to lift up his little request to God with all the faith that a child has. And she said, for a split second, I, I envied his childlike faith as an adult. And I wondered at what point in my life did I lose the ability to just believe? 
And she said, also during the course of the prayer, my son remembered we were out of toilet paper, so he prayed, and God, could you send us some toilet paper? And she said, I was slightly embarrassed that he would ask our creator, the Lord of heaven and earth, for such a thing, but I just let him pray. She said, well, the rest of the afternoon was uneventful, but about 4.45, the doorbell rang, and my two youngest children went to look out the window to see who it was. And fully expecting them to tell me it was one of their friends, I was not in any way prepared for what came next. My son yelled out, Mom, Mom, the pizza dude's here, the pizza dude's here. She goes, well, who? She goes, I made my way to the front door in a state of confusion, and my, my, my son came running through the house saying, it's an angel, it's an angel, God sent an angel to bring his pizza. And so I went to the door to clear up the confusion as I was sure this pizza dude was at the wrong house. And I was also worried, though, about the disappointment my son would feel when this delivery boy realized that he was at the wrong house. So I greeted the pizza boy and explained that we had not ordered the pizza, to which the delivery boy, true story, replied, I know, ma'am. I know. Someone called in the order, paid with it for a credit card, and we were told to deliver it you specifically around 5 p.m. How many guys would like to have that credit card? And she said, I must have been quite a sight standing there with my two daughters and our mouths hanging wide open in total disbelief. My, my son standing behind us saying, see, I told you God sends angels to deliver pizza. <laughs> Listen, she said, so the delivery boy handed me four. Doesn't God always do that above and beyond? He, she, he handed me four large pizzas and I carried our feast into the kitchen still in shock. She said, I spent the rest of the evening trying to absorb what just happened. And uh, just as I was pondering these scenes, my son yelled from the garage, Mom, Mom, I was looking uh, through this box, and guess what I found? Four rolls of Charmin toilet paper. <laughs> the good stuff, right? And she says, I couldn't believe it. She says, apparently I had packed that toilet paper in some box three years ago from one of our previous moves, and he just happens to find it that night. And she said, I just broke down and cried, thanking God for the miracles that he showered over us that day. Listen, she said, the summer of 2002 was one of the best in my life. Why? Because I learned to simply believe, no matter what life looks like. Why? Because God is good, and he can do all things. And if he has to, yes, he does send angels to deliver pizza. What are we worried about? What are you worried about? Do not worry about your life, Christian. You just seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And he has, if he has to use an angel to get the job done, he will. It's not just for us. It's just we're living this way every day. It's a natural way of life. We're full of joy. We're full of peace. We have no worry. People can't help but say, can I have that? I'm so sick and tired of this world, this government. Everything's cracking apart. The world, the wars, the things. It's not, I have no joy. I, I have no peace. What? And we tell them about Jesus. And we lead souls to him. That's a life worth living for in these last days. Let's be those people. Let's be that church here in Las Vegas and around the world. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven 
and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. 
He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 
888-888-8599. Or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com. Or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.